I ask you to take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 1. When you hear the phrase, so-and-so over there is very religious, what do you think? Is that a good thing? Or is that a, a negative thing? Or she's, she's such a religious person. Now, there was a generation that tended to use that, that phrase, but uh, in our circles, often we will make a, a distinction, and I have done that many times myself uh, from the pulpit, making a distinction between uh, being religious and having faith, or uh, a religious person versus a real Christian. So I want you to listen in this passage and uh, follow along and ask yourself if uh, James would have made that kind of distinction. And what he says about being religious or about real religion. Now what we're going to do, uh, we're going to focus on the latter part of this passage. We're going to start with verse 19, but uh, several weeks ago... We especially focused on uh, 19 through 21 and in leading up to uh, the passage that we're dealing with today. And so I want to reread that part so you kind of remember uh, what was taking place, what James had said. So uh, we pick up with verse 19 in James 1. Know this. My beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word. And not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, or he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, we pray now that in these moments, as we seek to focus upon your word, that your spirit, even as we talked about earlier with uh, the use of the catechism, that your spirit would apply it in our hearts, would enable us 
not only to focus and to hear, but would convict, would shape, would mold, would cause repentance. Whatever it is that we need before you, Lord, we pray that your Spirit would enforce that upon us today. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. This passage, as we uh, pick up, beginning with about verse 22, uh, gives us a, a warning for those who are uh, hearers only of the word. Look at verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Now again, if you think back several weeks, I don't, I, believe me, I don't expect you to remember that. So that's why I'm telling you again, uh, we had our missions conference and, and uh, so on in between. What that passage talked about was that we need to, in essence, clear the way in our lives for the Word of God. And that there are things there that can uh, put up barriers. And it, it talked about how important the Word is in our life. That it, actually it is the Word whereby our souls ultimately are, will be saved. And so that having <clears throat> been established, then he gives really a warning that evidently there is a temptation. There was for believers in his day, and there is absolutely for believers in our day. To be those that would uh, hear the Word, maybe hear it over and over again, but, but where the Word of God just doesn't really have any impact upon us. I read a story this week, a fictional story, and uh, I think it, it illustrates this. Let me, uh, let me relate it to you. Suppose I'm the CEO of uh, a successful, a growing company, and I decide that uh, I want this company to go international, and so I'm going to go overseas and begin a branch office in uh, another country overseas. Now, you are my executive assistant. And so I prepare the way. I'm going to take my family with me. And I tell you, now I'm going to, I'm going to send you letters every week, at least once a week, and I'm going to tell you what my expectations are. I'm going to be telling you what to do to not only keep things going the way they are, but uh, for our company to continue to grow and to thrive like it has been and so on. So, the day comes, uh, my family and I move overseas, and I begin to fire off these letters to you. And they arrive on a regular basis, and you get the letters, and, and you read them. Now, eight, nine months go by. I've established this uh, branch office overseas. It's doing fine. It's time for us to move back. So I come, I land at the airport, and I decide I want to go straight to the, the office. And I, I drive up, and there, when I come up to our headquarters, 
I said, there's something wrong here. The grass is all grown up. There's litter and trash kind of blowing around in the parking lot and so on. Some of the windows are broken out. It almost looks like an abandoned building, but uh, I can see there's people inside. So I, I go on in the front door. The receptionist is there, and she's working on her nails. And she, you know, chewing gum. There's loud music is blasting and so on. And uh, she looks up and says, yeah. And I say, well, uh, I'm looking for, and then I tell him your name, my executive assistant. Where, where is he? Where is she? Oh, the, down the hall somewhere down there, I'm sure. So uh, you look down the hall, and there's people all over the place. And uh, I, you, you go down the hall, and I, I find you. You've just finished up a chess game with the head sales rep, and uh, you say, oh, hey, how you doing? And I say, I'd like to see you in my office. And so we go into my office, and that's been turned into a TV room, and people are watching soap operas in uh, my office. So we shoo them out, and I sit you down, and I say, what's going on here? You say, well, what do you mean what's going on? Well, what, what is this? Uh, you know, I've, I've said, didn't you get my letters? Oh, yeah, we, we got your letters. We love your letters. Uh, I read them every single time. Okay, well, in fact, you know what? Every Friday, we had a letter study. And we would get together, and we'd pass them around, And in fact, we divided uh, our company up into small groups and they would study the letters. And some of the people would uh, even, they liked them so much that they even memorized some lines from your letters. A few of them memorized the whole letters. And I say, well, that's fine. But what did you do about them? do about them? We didn't do anything about them. Well, you get the point. How absurd would that be to do in business? And yet, is it any less absurd to think that the God of the universe has sent us instruction? expectation, blessing through His Word. And how often have we taken it in and taken it in and it had no impact upon not only the rest of that week, but not even the rest of the day. That's what James is addressing here. Now let's take a look at what he says uh, in in terms of that. In the last part of uh, verse 22, he explains the problem here. He says, uh, basically, we're fooling ourselves. Uh, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You're kidding yourself in some way. That, 
that phrase deceiving yourselves in, in the original, it's referring back to being hearers only. He said, look, if you're just taking it in, if you're just hearing it, and it's not impacting your life, you're kidding yourself. Uh, George Barna does all kinds of studies and surveys, and I'm not going to share much of this with you, but he did one on looking at how Christians versus non-Christians, how they act, what they do with their lives. Uh, he said the, it's the similarity of behavior between Christians and non-Christians. And there's 25 characteristics here. Uh, it, it's everything, I'll just share a few of them, from uh, donating money to a nonprofit organization this past month to uh, giving money to a homeless or poor person in the past year uh, to attending a community meeting on a local issue to uh, watching X-rated movies in the last three months. And of these 25 characteristics, they're virtually the same. There are a few percentage points of differences on some of these. But in his study, the way the believer and the unbeliever acts in this world There's very little difference. Now, you don't need Barna's survey to tell you that. You've probably observed it. You know people where they claim to be believers, but the way they treat others, maybe the way they treat you, maybe their ethics and so on, You can't tell any difference from those that don't know Christ. Now that's serious. But then we've got to go a step further and say, where is it in my life where that's the case? Where I've heard the word, and you who have been in this church for any length of time, you have heard the word over and over and over again, or if you've been in another evangelical church where the word of God is preached and taught, you've heard it over and over again. And you've got to ask yourselves, somebody from the outside, an objective observer, would they look at my life, at my marriage, at words that come out of my mouth, at my relationships, at my checkbook, at my business ethics, would they see any of that and see a difference between me and someone who doesn't know Christ? He says, if you are just a hearer, you're kidding yourself. Now, what are are you kidding yourself about? Well, I'm convinced it's that if you think you're a, uh, if you're acting like a hearer only of the word, <clears throat> you're not even a hearer of the word. If you're not a doer of it, you're not getting it. So, what's the problem? Well, he he gives an illustration. He continues to just drive it home. Verse uh, twenty-three and twenty-four. He says, "But if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer." He's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets 
what he was like. This is almost a bizarre Ill- illustration. Uh, back in the first century, mirrors aren't like uh, you might see in the restrooms here, you know, hung up on the wall with glass over them and that kind of thing. They were, uh, they were pieces of metal, usually, uh, buffed and shined, and usually laying on a table. Now, I don't suggest you do this if you are my age or above, but if you look at a mirror, I just about scared myself this week, let's put it that way. Things get distorted when you look down, okay? And that's, that's kind of what he is uh, talking about here. Uh, I was sitting in my office today and uh, and I, I, you know, I thought, I wonder if I can see myself, I, I've got glass over my desk. And so I did that, and I looked down, and I could see, but it's distorted. And he says, that's basically what it's like. He said, it's, um, it, it's as if you look and maybe make a few adjustments, you know, somebody just kind of doing this and then going on. And then you, you forget what you look like. I mean, it's, it's just a strange illustration here. But he said, that's what it's like if you hear the Word. And then maybe even while you're sitting here, you say, well, yeah, I've got to deal with that. And then you go on and you just forget about it. you out the door. It makes no difference. It's as if you had never heard it. And that's what he's saying here. You know, to me, it, it would be like going to, a, you know, a, a wonderful Easter service here or somewhere else and celebrating the resurrection of Christ and all that it means, the power and the glory of the resurrection, what it means to us, and then walking out the door and thinking that death is the worst thing that could possibly happen to you. You see, it doesn't fit. It it doesn't go together. And that's what he's saying. That that ought not to be. So what's the alternative? Verse 25. uh, The encouragement to be doers of the Word. Uh, But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who, who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Uh, the, the phrase here in terms of looking into the perfect law, it, it, it's like you see something and you bend down to look at it really closely. It would be like on my desk, you know, you've got, the, you've got the glass you could look at and then if you had the Bible right next to it and you looked down and you were paying close attention to it. That's, that's what he's talking about. One who meditates on it. Puts it into practice. Did you, did you catch what it said in the, in the catechism? It talked about uh, uh, how is the word to be read and heard, uh, catechism 90. And it says the word may, that it may be effectual, effective to salvation. We must attend to it with diligence, preparation, and prayer. Receive it with faith and love. Lay it up in our hearts. Let's memorize it and practice it in our lives. You see, that's when it becomes effective. It's not just hearing it outward. Now, what he does, and this is, this is so James-like, 
what he does now is he doesn't let us off the hook where we can just go and forget about it. He drives it home with some real-life examples, practical examples of, uh, you know, if somebody says, yeah, I'm, that would be bad if we were just hearers of the word, not doers. And he said, look, here's some, here's some examples. One is controlling our speech. Verse 26, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but, uh, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Now, already that's the second time in the book of James that he's talked about things that come out of our mouth, the words that come out of our mouth. And he's about to uh, have the better part of a whole chapter on that. It's a serious issue, obviously, for believers in Christ. And he says, look, here's an example. You know, if just any, anything comes out of your mouth. Or does the Word of God have an impact on how you talk to people, on how you talk to your spouse or your children or your parents or your teachers or your boss or those that work for you? Does it make a difference? He says it must. And he uses that word religion now, this is the only place in the New Testament that that word is used exactly as it is here, and it's not used anywhere in the classical uh, Greek. It's talking about a vigorous practice of our faith. And he's saying, if you don't control your tongue, you are denying your profession of faith. He says, that's serious. You say you're a believer, but if, if what you say is out of control then you're denying that you're a believer. It's that serious. He's basically, in summary, he's saying, love God and love your neighbor. He goes on uh, about loving your neighbor. Verse 27, the first part. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. A couple other places uh, in the New Testament, Galatians 6. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So it's saying we need to take care of those in our household of faith and then uh, in a secondary way, we take care of those in our community that we touch. Uh, Psalm 68, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in His holy habitation. You know, I was so encouraged uh, in our missions conference uh, a week ago Wednesday, the middle of our conference, we had our local uh, missions night. And we, we saw all of the various local missions that we're involved with, and they are like this. They are not just word-centered uh, missions, although they are, but they are word and deed, mercy ministry. And it's so appropriate. That's, that's what this is talking about. And then you, you look at our areas of focus. For instance, in Ukraine and in Haiti, what, what are we dealing with? Well, part of what we deal with is the orphans. And this is saying that's an outworking of your faith. That doesn't save you, but it's an appropriate outworking of 
your faith. You're going to care about those who can't take care of themselves. I was encouraged in seeing the gamut of our local missions to where uh, anyone who has a heart for the Lord, there is something that you can do. Something you can get involved with. By the way, that is, that is the other reason why um, the, our faith mission giving, because that's a part of it, that we encourage you to go ahead and uh, put those cards in so that as we support these various ministries, and then as we take part in them, that we'll be able to, in essence, uh, uh, support from the financial, and then put feet on it with what we do and say. Uh, And then he talks about uh, holy living. And I put in this world, because what he says, and keep oneself unstained from the world. One of the the Puritan writers said this, and the reason I I went way back to a Puritan, because he used the word religion. He said this, Richard Baxter. He said, if religion were only the exercise of the body, the moving of the lips, the bending of the knee. In other words, if it was just coming to church, standing up and singing, kneeling down and praying, uh, going through these kinds of motions, he said men would commonly step to heaven as they go visit a friend. But to separate our thoughts and affections from the world, to draw forth our graces... This is difficulty. So what he's saying is it's not just that kind of outward action. It's what's going on in here that leads to the outward doing. Genuine faith is hard. And true religion is so practical. But it can't just be made up of these outward religious acts. Jesus himself dealt with that with the Pharisees. He pronounced upon them woes. Now what that means is he pronounced curses upon the Pharisees. Listen to what he said. He was addressing their outward religion. He said this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe, mint, dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, you blind guides. So he's saying, you you tithe these spices, that's a good thing. But you didn't deal with these weightier matters. Now don't, don't quit doing these outward acts, but deal with the inward. Deal with how you treat one another in your mercy and justice. And then he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside are full of greed and self-indulgence, you blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. So he's saying, look, here's what you're like, you you that are just doing the outward. He said, you're like a a cup that's filthy on the inside. It looks all right from, from the outside. But then you look on the inside and it, it's filthy. You say, that's what you're like. And then he goes on and he says, you're like whitewashed tombs. In other words, the, the tombs, you see them in 
that part of the world and they look good from the outside. But if you went inside, you'd see decay. And he said, that's what you're like. You Pharisees, you're blind. You're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. They were doing all those outward acts. You know what? Pharisees probably could have been good members in good standing in our denomination. And that's the scary part. Because James says, look, it's not about the outward. Yeah, you've got to do the outward. But it starts in here and then there's the outflow. So what keeps us from being doers? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. One is because maybe there isn't anything in there. Maybe you never have come to Christ. If when you hear the word it has no impact upon you, you might be like these Pharisees. Pharisees who knew the word of God. They did all of the outward things but there was nothing inside except decay. And that's where you got to start. And that's the fearful part. That someone could go through and go to church every Sunday of their life and the Word of God not have any impact on them. And it, it's because, in some cases, they've never trusted in Christ alone for their eternal life. Or the other reason could be that you are trusting in Christ alone for your eternal life, by grace, through faith, for salvation. But when it comes to living your life in a consistent way, you're trusting in your own works, in your own strength. You're living, as it were, like a practical atheist, saying, i got to do these things to stay in good standing with God. And that's not what the Scripture indicates to us. If you are in that category, you're going to fail. You will wear out. You will burn out. You will get frustrated. And you may give up because you can't be a doer of the Word in your own strength. Not for long. You can temporarily. But not persevering. In either case, you're missing out. James says this. But the one who looks into the perfect law, remember, reaches down and looks closely into it and perseveres. Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts He will be blessed in his doing. That's where the blessing is. Is when that that perfect law, the word of God, doesn't just stop with coming in our ears, but it penetrates into our heart by God's grace as his spirit applies it. And then Christ in us has the outworking and we become doers of the word. May God grant us that by His Spirit. Let's pray together.